Hello, and welcome to Talk Talk, podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent, and I'm here today with TJ. Hi. Chris. Hello. David. <laughs> uh, and special guest, Chad. Hello. Hey, Chad. Chad, the third guest? Yeah. Al Kelly. Yep. Now we have half of our listeners. <laughs> and the most talkative one now. <laughs> Honestly, this might be the best way to grow the podcast, is just everybody who listens thinks they get to eventually just be on it. Because it tends to be working out. We're missing a GoFundMe window, though. That's the case. We're missing a lot of windows, I think, (laughs) at some point or another. We we got no windows. Our Patreon deal, our subscriber benefit is like, you can Skype in on a podcast. (laughs) Just come over. I just had a nefarious thought that we totally should do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, After... No, no. We need a new table? <laughs> Bigger table? Bigger house? Well, that's like, it's, it's sort of like TJ, when TJ and I had the idea of trying to start a GoFundMe for us to buy the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> or, no, quote unquote, quote unquote, buy the racist portion of the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. With, uh, and uh, we were going to promise our uh, funders that they could go take a free throw in yeah, a, like, a blowout. Million dollars, you get to. Do you want to be an NBA boss, player? You start. <laughs> Do the first. You can have your, first, your name. Your name on tip off. Your name on basketballreference.com yeah. forever. Twenty million dollars. Retire your jersey. <laughs> so speaking of, what are we talking about today? Uh, the Hawks. Apparently, we were talking about the Hawks. No, uh, we're talking about uh, the movie First Reformed, twenty eighteen movie. From writer director Paul Schrader, starring Ethan Hawke as a the Schrader priest. The <laughs> Chris Berman's Raiders. Thing. No one's going to take that from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a priest in. Uh, does it say the denomination? Yeah, he's he's, uh, he's not Episcopalian. No, Lutheran, um, Protestant. Right, as Protestant. Okay. Protestant. I, I, I don't think it says it, but I was reading, and people who go to church, yeah, can tell. And and <laughs> for, for, and for the for the name of that so. church, I think it's Protestant. Okay, First Reformed. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it was Dutch, right? Yeah, that makes sense. And they make reference to Martin Luther. They sing songs by Martin Luther, so mm-hmm. that would make sense. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> joke was so weird. <laughs> that was weird. But uh, anyway, this? I'm Chris, out. I did. You want to run the plot down? Sure. So, uh, this is one of those movies that just kind of starts with the middle of a week. Uh, Ethan Hawke is a pastor who is running a small church in is it upstate New York. I think it's near, near Albany. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because she's got family in Buffalo and it's near Albany where yeah. there's free tests and stuff. So, like, running an old church in upstate New York and he... One of the members of his congregation reaches out to him, played by Amanda Seyfried and, uh, or is it Chloe Savani? I always get the two mixed up. Seyfried. Um, <clears throat> and she wants Ethan Hawke's character, uh, Toller, to have a conversation with her husband, who has just come back from a Canadian jail um, after he has been imprisoned for environmental activism. So... His relationship with her husband kind of uh, brings new light and passion to his leading his congregation, but it also is the point where, um, in the a pivotal point in her husband's life, and he ultimately uh, kills himself, but uh, infects 
Toller with the same environmentalism uh, eco-warrior bug uh, that he had. So then Toller uh, is uh, spends the rest of the movie preparing to make a big protest showing of maybe killing the CEO of an energy company who's on the list of like top 10 polluters in the United States um, when he is um, confronted by the fact that Mary, Man of Safety's character, uh, who he told to stay away from this big event where everyone will be gathered, the 250th consecration, uh, she shows up anyway and he doesn't want her to uh, be killed in his, uh, you know, eco-terrorism. Uh, the plot really isn't what the movie's about, after hearing myself say the words, sure. um, but that is it. Uh, Cedric Kyle, Cedric the Entertainer, better known, uh, is the pastor at a mega church who basically like buys and keeps Ethan Hawke's church running, mm -hmm. um, and is the one who's organizing the, the, the 250th consecration, but that's a side story, just kind of, uh... You know, catalyst kind of. Yeah, Ethan Hawke's um, uh, basically one of his few human connections because he's pretty closed off at this point in his life. Uh, his congregation is maybe ten people big, um, with everyone opting to go to the mega church that that Cedric the Entertainer's character runs. I forget his name. I'm bad about it. Joel. Joel. Um, of course, it's one of those like mega churches, so everybody just calls him Pastor Joel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's basically the plot, if, if I missed any important points. Um, you know, he grows closer with Mary after her husband kills himself um, in a non-sexual but very intimate way. Um, and... It's going to turn sexual at the end, technically, I guess. Maybe. Maybe we'll get to that. Yeah. Well, I mean... Yeah. They make out. <laughs> or do they? Maybe. We'll get to that. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. At, yeah. Le at least the representation is that he... Has sexual feelings towards her. Yes. Without it. That, that is his desire, whether it is real or imagined. Is it set present day? or is It, it is yeah, set in present day. And it's interesting. I mean, I guess the, the big thing that I called on early that you kind of maybe left out of the plot that... I can see in, in your plot description isn't as important is the fact that his son died in Iraq... Um, after he encouraged him to enlist because it was a family tradition, he used to be a chaplain. Yeah, so he was in the military. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think that and that is important for the overall themes. Well, it's he kills indirectly his son and also indirectly kills Michael, a man of Seafried's husband, by finding a suicide bomber vest the night before he kills himself and not reporting it or doing anything about it at right. that moment. And the next day, he kills himself. Yeah. So by not counseling immediately by finding that or turning it into the cops, he indirectly, you know. Probably. Probably, yeah. That's so much of this movie is like. I mean, like, yeah, but as much as any movie is probably. Yes, yeah, we have we have to talk this, about it in some definite terms. I think this movie. I don't is think, I don't think what I said is more than others. Was there any intention about killing her husband, or is it just happenstance? Just happenstance. He so the husband makes a suicide vest. As and he is going to, we we never know when, where, why, or what, but he has a suicide vest, and Seyfried finds it in the garage and calls <clears throat> Reverend Toller. And you he get has the been feeling. recently working on it. Said he was out in the uh, garage and finally filled with some purpose when she kind of uncovered it. Right, 
And so when he finds like it, I should just say maybe every time. Else, <laughs> yeah. So when 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 he when he finds it, he just takes it and puts it in his closet. So it is clear that the husband Michael was going to kill himself, mm-hmm. but in in what fashion, spectacular or otherwise, had, had already written a suicide note. So. So I don't, I don't mean to be annoying about the maybe, but this is a weirdly, for a small movie, it's got a wildly active Reddit thread going about it, <laughs> just because it's like the guy who made Taxi Driver, and that's like, you know, one of the pillars of like, is it real at the end type movies? Yeah, I want to clarify, I guess, how's the suicide thing not indirect? Are we thinking he was murdered there's one thing I saw and I don't know if it holds water or anything but that the family was recruiting Reverend Toller specifically that Seyfried might have planted or that they were working on the best together to get Toller to yes find it to then use it so once Toller found the vest Michael's part was over because he can't I don't know that's part of the thing but he could have stopped the suicide by finding the vest still that's or Michael's part was over. I do think that building the vest. And I, I think. Yeah, the, but hold on. The how's the suicide? I don't understand how the suicide thing is not. If he goes to the cops with the vest immediately, doesn't that foil the plan? Not sure. Okay. But it could have been his plan the entire time, even before meeting Reverend Toller to kill him. Sure, but I'm just saying, Ethan Hawke's character Toller could have spoiled the plan by sure. taking the vest to the cops. Or and he, he has whatever. some interesting. Uh, yes, he has some interesting. Decisions that he makes about not telling the cops, and once he's dead, about hiding evidence. Right. But there's. I was just making sure there wasn't anything I was missing. No. There. But there's also something important to him not telling the cops, and that it's the suicide vest is found after Toller is counseling Michael. So mm-hmm. Toller is already looking into and is already buying into the like, sure. the arguments about the environment getting spoiled by mankind, and isn't it our job as stewards to take care of it? Says the Bible. Yeah. And Toller says the reason he doesn't want to go to the cops is to, it would look bad on the cause. Uh, the cause. Right. So he's protecting the cause. Did you notice the polar bear image in two different places? The polar bear floating on the ice? It's on the desktop. It's on Toller's desktop. No, he takes Michael's computer. That's Michael's, That's Michael's computer. computer. I thought I saw it much. He, he takes his computer when he's like boxing up the stuff. He's like, "Well, I should take this," and he takes it and he brings it home. And that's where he does all the research because he doesn't own a computer, right? As part, uh, as, as part of the intro with the okay. longhand written word thing. Yeah, he's, well, that's he's, less interesting. He's done I'll away with all out. of his possessions <laughs> except for the writing desk, the diary, okay, um, and apparently a desire for some some good barbed wire. So moving to the next section of the film, I guess. Yeah. After Michael's suicide. Yes. Um, I feel like the best way to do this is just to go by section and hammer out any sure. questions any of us have. Sure. <laughs> now I'm confused a little bit, which is fun. Um, but after that, he essentially takes the vest home. He gets berated by the big preacher and the CEO, the tycoon, I guess, character. And the connection is, uh, we haven't mentioned this yet, the connection is that the, the polluter CEO guy is a major donor to the megachurch. To the point where their name is on the front of the church. Yeah. Yeah. And prior to the diner scene is, uh, I guess, another important thing. It's kind of like a character study, so these things kind of pop up here and there. Right. But is he honors Michael's last will and testament by doing it at the, uh, kind of the, the waste site with the uh, the political Neil Young song. That's what originally uh, uh, Bulk and the, the 
uh, Joel are angry about. With Toler, yeah. Because they don't want the consecration to be political. And he's like, how is it political, you know, ensuring the, you know, that we have environmental conservatism. And beyond that, they're saying this trumps the church, right? Because his argument is like, mm-hmm. I'm just honoring the God's like last will and testament. Right. Doing his what he wanted at his funeral, and they're like, no, fuck that, don't be political. Yeah. So it's already showing that the church is secondary to this. Film like yeah. money, power, whatever. But, so yeah, so the diner scene, Bulk kind of confronts Toller and says, you know, we, we don't want you to speak at the, at the, the consecration um, because of this action. You know, you invited the press. He was like, I didn't invite the press. They were Michael's friends. He's a member of my congregation. So, <clears throat> that, I think, well, you were saying that the, that the seeds are planted before that, that he is going to target, or that that the environmentalism is more important than the church and religion I don't think they were to him at that point. Okay. So you think the diner scene helps radicalize him even more? I think, yeah, I think yeah. he's leaning toward it, and that kind of pushes him over the edge a little. Yeah, but the seed is definitely the, I think it's a powerhouse scene. I just, you know, we're jumping back and forth. But his conversation with Michael, the first defense, about he finds himself, you know, thrilled and finally actively engaged in his life. Right. Doing a, a religious debate about the future of the world and the center of... The initial part of the plot is the guy thinks that it's a sin to bring a child into a world that's going to be unlivable by 2030. Yeah. They say, like, what age will you be and what age would my daughter or son be? <clears throat> and part of that is in the back of his head he cannot um, figure out uh, the answer to that question about the role of God and religion in allowing this to happen. The question simply which comes up <clears throat> five or six times in the movie is, will God, God forgive us? us? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is super interesting. Yeah. And he asked the same question at the diner scene. Because he immediately answers to Michael when he asks him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if God will forgive us. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, that is a separate, super interesting take on organized religion, which I thought was really cool because he has a great argument with Joel, Cedric mm-hmm. the Entertainer's character, about, like, would God kill his creation? And Joel's like, maybe it's a plan and we don't understand it. And it's yeah. like, shit, that's the argument from religion. Like, uh, yeah. I also, like Joel's like, time. also like when Joel points out that, you know, according to our theology, he already has. Yeah, yeah. he's done right. it once before. It. Yeah. 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 I really like, and I know this is getting away from the speculation, but I really liked Cedric the Entertainer in this. He does there's, a really good job. So there's, like, right before it comes to a head, and, like, maybe days before the consecration... Um, when Toller has uh, Toller has a previous relationship with the choir director from the mega church, mm-hmm. and I don't know if he is intentionally telling her off because he wants to distance himself from people in this time right before, or if she's really just being a pain in his ass. Um, but so he gets called in to talk to Joel, and uh, that conversation is really good. When Joel points out that, and then I think Joel makes a correct point here in that part of the thing that's making Toller sort of lose it is his life of isolation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not being in the real world. I right. I mean, because quote. he spends most of the first half of the movie just writing in a diary. And like you said, he has a, he has seven or eight people maybe in his church mm-hmm. the first Sunday that we see in a Dutch Joel, colonial house with like no furniture where he lives. Yeah. Joel yeah. rightly tells him you live in a museum. 
Yeah. You know, and he's like, it's a souvenir shop. Yeah. But really, I mean, it is a museum to that way of life and the... He gets more people who come to see it for its historical value than to worship there. Yeah. Like, you, you see him giving tours, and that's pretty much most of the interaction he has. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That, I agree, that's a great scene. I just, I like, I like when, where we see Toller having conversations with Michael, where Michael, where Michael will ask a question, and Toller will very quickly say, I don't know. And where I think that maybe the film has something to say about effective religious counseling. Um, when he asks a question of Joel, and Joel doesn't know the answer, he takes his time, he spins his chair around, he thinks about it, and then he turns around and he delivers an answer, like, using scripture. Like, it's it's an interesting juxtaposition that, like, not that anyone is a, is a, is, is a good or bad religious leader, but that, like, there is a modern approach to it, that we need to have answers to things now in maybe an information-driven age where... You know, they're simulcasting the consecration from... And we say it's a megachurch. It's not like your stereotypical megachurch. It's not an arena with 100,000 seats. It can sit 5,000. Right. So it's not gigantic, and it's not one of those really gaudy megachurches. Like your run-of-the-mill megachurch, I guess. Right. That you would expect Albany, New York to have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like if you're... church. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's, it's it's not over the top. It's not a Joel Austin church. Um... So apologies to any Joel Austin listeners. Um, I think we've scared you away by now. We, we will. We, <laughs> we mark this podcast as uh, not safe for Joel Austin. For Joel Austin, explicit. <laughs> <laughs> Joel Austin, explicit. <clears throat> Picante. Are we? Are we? Are we skipping steps to get to the ending? Uh, I'm, I'm plugging along in chronological order. So I, th- yeah, I think um, while we're talking about his sort of isolationism, do you think the movie? Uh, especially also just Paul Schrader wrote Taxi Driver as well. And, uh, I think that's the biggest link between the two movies is the way it's about two characters who, uh, are isolated from the world in a lot of ways and are slowly with, due to their limited interactions with the world, become sort of repulsed by the things they see and how it sort of radicalizes them. Yeah, and I, and I do want to put a bend on that. Is that their idealism radicalizes them? Like they don't—they don't have any grounding force, right? Yeah, but but agree with everything else. And and so, do you think that this this is a movie that sort of warns against uh, that sort of lifestyle of isolating yourself to the point where, like, it this is one of the dangers of being an isolated thinker, because having nothing, having no time to do anything but think. Really, just opens your eyes to that sort of. I don't think the movie is neat enough to say that what is the remedy for this guy that he's not taking. <clears throat> I think it's just that he has this issue, and just like Taxi Driver, we have this window into what he's going through through his his form of the twelve month diary. In um, in Taxi Driver, it's the you know the Travis Bickle monologues that he's kind of speaking to nobody. <clears throat> I don't think it has a. I guess maybe the movie has some things, some misses where he could have gotten help, but I don't think that that's what the movie's really about. Is like, <clears throat> sure, I, th- I think it is. You think it is? I think that is what it's about. I think, I mean, 
not to jump to the end and skip stuff, but I, I don't I think we s- have to. I don't see him as you know blowing up the church as I don't think you can see it as either him being like pro environmental terrorism or anti church because he's doing both equally there. He's literally blowing up, you know, this like museum of a church that's got underground railroad, you know, secret doors in it and shit, and also doing it for the environment. I think he's just radical against everything. I think that is a symptom of his life, not him actually being pro environment or anti church. Yeah. And I think it's split. And I and I also agree and I think the movie gives us evidence in that no matter how you interpret the ending, Mary is salvation. Yes. So another person <clears throat> taking away his isolationist bend is the end result of his actions. Whether he dies by drinking the Drano and Mary is there as, you know, as his passage to wherever he's going when he dies. Or she walks in and she stops him from drinking the Drano. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't necessarily think she's 100% salvation. There's another take that she is <clears throat> seduction. It may not be that she's actually, you know, not to you know, <laughs> jerk all over the mic. <laughs> no, we're, we're talking about... <laughs> we, are, we are essentially talking about what is what is Paul Schrader's... Uh, what what is Paul Schrader's opinion in this story of what happens when we die? It's either <coughs> it's either he lives and they're together, or we die. And then what is this? What is this scene that he's created where Mary walks in and he kisses her? Camera swirls around. Yeah. And the movie I just think about cuts he, abruptly. He's very intrigued in his journals about the thought that went through Michael's head before he died. Yeah. So it's very possible that you know <clears throat> Cedric tries to get in the church and it's completely locked. Mary gets in in there. Presumably doesn't have a key, and it could just be the thing that goes through his head before he dies is that she is part of the seduction of this this way of life and this corruption of his ideals. That could, or you could take it a couple other ways. I don't think it's a hundred percent one way or the other. So if yeah. you, if you take that reading, that actually ties into one thing he says earlier in the movie, which is uh, that you know, life is both despair and hope. Mm-hmm. And I think if you consider her, you know, seduction that he's trying to resist, but also hope of of being with her, you know, then that could be. That sort of end state for him could be a combination of both despair and hope. It's, it's Joel's description of, like, you don't stay in the garden for that long. Even Adam and Eve didn't stay in the garden that long. Right. Mm-hmm. She is both the garden and the apple. Like, Which is interesting because she's Mary, and I think in the beginning, especially after Michael's suicide, you see her as Mother Mary, salvation. Mm-hmm. And if you see her as seduction, you know, she's the other biblical Mary. I mean... Lots of people see Magdalene as seduction for Jesus. Yeah. So the fact that y'all are arguing salvation for seduction, I think, is super purposeful. I mean, I can't oh, yeah. think of a screenwriter naming a character Mary in a movie called Named for a Church and not yeah. knowing what the fuck they're doing. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This, I mean, movie, this movie does feel very uh, carefully crafted to have discussions like this where no one's right, no one's wrong, and it's just like, oh, it could be that. Well, I think you can take well, salvation two ways. <clears throat> it's either hopeful. Or it is uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, his his salvation that leads to doom, in a sense. That's two different ways to think of salvation. I think if it's a hopeful ending you have at the end, you have to contend with um, what the heck you think the Magical Mystery Tour scene is, and why does it end in uh, Wastelands. 
with with Mary. I <clears throat> do we. And I'm still kind of chunking through this movie mentally myself. <clears throat> yeah, I, 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 I kind of read a little bit of Schrader's interpretation of the Magical Mystery Tour, and it's clear to me that he doesn't want anyone to think anything about any one scene one way or another. So this is... You want to walk through that scene real quick? Yeah. yeah. Mention that scene. So yeah. so Mary comes to, or doesn't, uh, Schrader when he's... And that wasn't a dig. I'm saying that it could have not happened because it was so... Surreal um, comes to Reverend Toller a couple nights before the consecration. After he's had his his meeting with Joel, this is it's like the penultimate scene before the suicide, or you know, before before the consecration. Um, this is the peak of the climax, almost. I would call yeah, it. Um, and she says that she, you know, she feels so lost. She had so many ideas in her head, and the thing that she would do with Michael to ground herself was they would lay on top of each other trying to cover as much of their bodies with the other person's body clothed or not non-sexual and they would just count their breaths just feel feel them breathing so she asked Toller if he wants to do it well she doesn't ask if he wants to do it yes he asks did you want me to do that and she goes no well actually yeah and then they do it and then the characters on screen levitate and then it shows um an array of scenery. Right. Starting with, you know, meadows and pastures and valleys and nature scenes, and then slowly going towards... Uh, Deep space. Well, it starts in space. Uh, space, yeah. and then to, like, uh, giant excavators, like, pulling ore out of the earth, and smokestacks, and, like, oil-covered pelicans. Fields of tires. Yeah, like, so... Yeah, so, so that's... <laughs> that's it. Yeah, <laughs> it's and, and, it's, a... and it's also really important to note that uh, Toller had Toller doesn't pray anymore. He doesn't pray anymore, and he thinks of the act as kind of garish. Um, so, and I only think it's important because this is this is analogous to me is, is the meditation versus prayer thing. Um, and in fact, the only time he ever prays in the movie is with Mary holding her hands. And then you've got this scene, which is pretty wild. But so the director said that the reason why they levitated was because he'd seen movies where people levitated and he wanted there to be something to prove that there was another plane to kind of start to show you that we're bending the, the rules, the understanding of reality, and that it's, it's not just the ultimate co- consequence is he dies, that's it. That's the end of the movie. Is that there's more. That there's that it's attainable somehow. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe a good time to jump in. I just reread um, <clears throat> just for the background. Paul Schrader was a film critic before he was a screenwriter, <clears throat> and he came up with this term "transcendental film" to describe uh, a lot of film about questioning movies where directors have questioned faith and stuff. And reading his term, it is kind of the denial of normal um, movie-going practices we would assume, like camera movement. Things like that, where we have a lot of dedicated shots, the camera's not moving ever, <clears throat> and you make space in your movie for the spiritual. That's the thought: is that through this denial, you can earn a scene where you are just going into another plane. I think it helps to talk about <clears throat> that scene and the ending, about what his personal philosophy about transcendental film is. <clears throat> I think you're 100 percent right. It's probably where he is connecting to his faith. 
or you know his his version of his faith, or it could be the corruption of his faith. But right. he's finally connected. And the movie, <clears throat> I think it's it's very interesting. The movie makes room for this by being so spare, just like his Spartan lifestyle. Yeah. Throughout the rest of the movie, you know, they they also said like non diegetic music is the only music you see. Like the only score is like, you know, like. David Lynchian like really metals grind metal grinding on each other yeah. or like like um, uh, unpleasant pulses of of static or bass right got Jackie esque yeah so what did you so, so with that as a background what do you guys think about the magical mystery tour oh and that's what she calls it the magical mystery tour what do you think it, it's either its role is in the plot or its messages from the director. I think he's finally touching the spiritual plane, but the spiritual plane for him is confirming his suicide mission for how he's, <clears throat> through this, finally having a personal connection, he's finding himself in the ruinous wasteland of our environmental decisions. <clears throat> I think that kind of calcifies his decision at the end, prior to Mary coming in, about what he wants to do for the consecration. I think shortly after that is also when he goes to the waste site and gets the barbed wire and says, I found a new form of prayer. I think that's all kind of yeah. coming out of that scene for me. Does the barbed wire come from the wayside? I thought it came from behind the cemetery. Yeah, I, thought he, I think he stepped the rabbit. Oh, right. yeah. But he does go back. He, right, spends, right, right. he spends like a whole night just like walking the, around the wayside. The only reason I brought that up is because I don't... You know, at the ending, he's he's got a vest on. He's ready to blow up the congregation, essentially. Destroy the church. And when Mary gets there, he, you know, removes the vest, wraps the barbed wire around him, and uh, pours a cup of Drano in his lowball whiskey drinking glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. It's interesting that suicide was, like, the option, and I feel like the barbed wire is obviously telling us, like, I feel like one side was killing himself for... The environmental cause, and one side is killing himself because he's, you know, a absent of absent of faith too. Oh, like kind of a repentance. The barbed wire, like, like yeah, self flagellation. Like, right. Yeah, I, I definitely think that there's that. I mean, that that is intentional imagery with right. the, with the barbed wire. But he's also something we haven't touched on is just he he's also incredibly prideful. Something you don't get obviously in the movie, but the fact that he. Uh, he is looking down on other forms of faith like the megachurch. He, he has very uh, sternly had, held judgments about what's right. And I think he's personally offended that he can't pray anymore. It's, it's, you know, he says it's like garish, but I think he's offended that he can't find that personal touch anymore mm-hmm. and he should be important enough. He obviously thinks he's important enough, obviously. I don't want to say obviously too many times, <laughs> especially in this movie. But <laughs> to keep a running journal of all of his thoughts that they're worthy. But he derides himself for his pride and says that of all of the sins, he can't believe he's guilty of this one and he knows he is. He destroys pages in his journal when he thinks that they're too self-indulgent. And he even thinks that the whole quote-unquote experiment of writing in the journal is ridiculous. But he continues to do so. Because he wants to see if he can. That, to me, is more about devotion and faith than it is about pride. He also is going to prematurely end the 12-month experiment. I mean, I don't know. Did y'all have any thoughts of that kind of driving him more? 
that he's making him, he's putting himself through that. That he's that he's like cementing his thoughts. That he's he's forcing himself to like be dis, like. Uh, I think it's definitely it's an early form of self-flagellation before we see the right. barbed wire. Yeah, as a physical manifestation manifestation of that. Yeah, yeah. I just found it interesting that he was like, "It's going to be twelve months. It's going to be one year. I'm going to do this for a year. Write this journal." And I don't know. Part of me felt like he couldn't take that. He's also, I think, I, I hear what you're saying. I think part of the pride is he's also obsessed with Thomas Merton's. Who has like this famous super similar yeah super similar uh, kind of lifestyle and stuff and and wrote these famous letters. Uh, the fact I think Joel chides him for like reading and rereading these guys who also wasn't in the real world. Yeah, I think that that's his pride saying I could do something like that. Have we made mention yet of his health issues? No, I was going to say that's another pride issue that he seemed to have no interest in finding out and curing. The possibility of cancer. It's also possibly Stomach things cancer. he doesn't deserve Possibly. a cure for that. Yeah. That that's another daily self-flagellation is he it burns when he pees and he throws up and that he deserves that. Do you think that goes hand in hand with his... Do uh, you think that <clears throat> helps his willingness to commit his, well, his plans of a final act? I, 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 think, <clears throat> I think it helps cement it, uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally, um, he is making the choice to pollute his ailing body mm-hmm. and ending himself in a way that is symbolic to making a statement about us polluting the earth, I think is, is well, that's a super, motivation. Super religious undertones there, like destroying yeah. the temple of God and all that. Shit. Yeah. The creation is, you know, the earth is a creation is no more of a creation. Than yeah, and there's a real are. like grotesque showing of the whiskey pouring the Pepto-Bismol in there. It looks oh, like toxic super sludge. Super cool imagery, yeah. <clears throat> Very cool, and we're obviously meant to think about it because he, he dwells on that image for a long time. And then and I think... That's his pollution. Yeah, I mean, I think it was super cool how you... So many close-ups on that, that same glass mm-hmm. when it's water and when it's whiskey and when it's... More whiskey, like and higher, it's more and whiskey more mixed with Pepto-Bismol. And then at the end, that awesome image of the Drano just looks so toxic yeah. in that glass. And it's a it's a full pour, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's a brimful. Yeah. Whatever a full pour of Drano <laughs> is, is that four fingers of Drano. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think his health is important, but I don't think it's it's as important in the why of the plot, but in the why of the motivation for uh, killing himself as well as other people, like oh, because I do think that he undertakes his actions still. Uh, <laughs> Classic. Just still thinking of himself as a spiritual warrior. Uh, I I don't think that his like I I think in his mind detonating the suicide vest at the consecration he would have been a holy warrior, and I think that he is he is motivated biblically and spiritually to kill himself and make the statement. I think that the barbed wire is a statement. I think that that journal, which he hasn't yet destroyed, which he had the opportunity to destroy, which he intended to, mm-hmm. but is still like sitting there, that that he still believes that he is fully acting within God's plan to kill himself in some way to make a statement about our impact on the environment. So, just referencing the scene in the church at the end, on the church grounds, where do you... Stop reality there. Where are you unsure of what we're The watching? ending? The everything that happens at the 
the last setting of the film. I think when he when he pours the glass of Drano, I think I think he drinks it, and it just that never shows him drinking from. Yeah, it. not as much that as like is open up for possibility. So there, but nobody thinks that he, the vest got set off. I mean, it could have. It's it's possible. Mary could not have shown up. I have no. I don't know why you hit that scene of Joel looking for him and coming to get him if yeah. he, that if he blew up right. if he set the vest off because that's not something he's seeing that's a separate story of you know it just added panic to the situation I feel yeah. like him beating on the door but I don't know why you get that scene of Joel coming over if he went in and right. blew up the place is there anything to saying you said he had stomach cancer yeah is there anything probably. to like the decaying of his body and his unwillingness to correct it Anything parallel to kind of the environmentalism and how the alien sure. of the planet and our inability to correct it or inability to even want to approach that subject of how or yeah. just looking at it? Sure. I mean, I think that's when the doctor is telling him all the, like, it's not as bad as it used to be. We can fix this. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of the scientific stance on the environment issues. It's like, yeah. it's not, like, impossible. You know what I mean? We just have to take... Crazy steps. You have to pump your body with radiation, but you know what I mean? Or yeah, whatever. I think part of him denying uh, healing is also his stance that we, like, the way that he doesn't deserve his body, his mortal body, that humankind probably doesn't deserve the earth. Which is why he is willing to blow up and destroy lives, because we don't deserve the earth we've been given with what we've done to it. It's also, the, I also think that it's, it's uh, the, the level between... Uh, body and earth is the the church doesn't deserve to be fixed. The organ doesn't deserve to be updated, fixed. That's a good point. The the I mean, he does all the plumbing. Like the, like the plumbing doesn't need to be updated. You know, it's it's this two hundred and fifty year old representation of the earth. Yeah, we're waiting on pieces for it, but then it gets a shortcut when Balk has his guys come through. Right, and it obviously disturbs him that you know. Yeah, I mean, we're just shortcutting that. We're just in a hole waiting for the world to end, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the the um, shit. I can't remember what it's called now. Harriet Tubman. Oh yeah, the the slave train. Underground Railroad. <laughs> Jesus, slave train is a very shorthand way of saying that. I was gonna call it a slave motel. I was like, that's <laughs> not a good thing to call slave that. Slave train's an unpopular OJ song. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean that, that was the the point of that. I thought was fairly straightforward. Yeah, just how he saw his reaction with God's creations or just the the world we have. Yeah, you're just waiting now. It's kind of inevitable. yeah, and 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 that we are we are important. But from Michael's point of view, five thousand years from now, the Earth will be fine. Right. We'll be gone, but the Earth will be fine. Right. It'll recover. It'll expel humankind as the tumor that it is. Yeah. Maybe that is God's plan. Or Thanos will get here. (laughs) (laughs) So, back to the ending. Um, Sure. Do you have a... So, I think we all agree there are multiple ways to take the ending. And multiple ways to interpret it. Do you have a preferred way? That you just sort of like... "Eh, I. I'm picking this way. I still like my my salvation bend. Here's here's the 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 through 
the full explanation that I think is what happens is he pours the drain out, drinks it, he starts dying, and he is shown the gates of heaven of Mary, of his wildest desires, his personal uh, his, his, his personal heaven is finally having this human connection, the only human connection that has ever shown him, or at least in the bounds of the movie, that has ever shown him that transcendental, that paradise mm-hmm. outside of corruption and pollution. And then another important like note is that the movie abruptly ends. The song ends, the camera is rotating. I'll talk about TV cut off. Yeah. It yeah. is it is a cut to black in the middle of him embracing and and kissing Mary's character. And I think that is when he ultimately dies. And not after, just just kissing, like yeah. very aggressively like yeah. make out session. So I think I think that, that is that, that is the like <clears throat> And the camera's been so static the entire movie and it, it is it literally wildly sweeping around. Yeah. Every, every shot is a fixed shot mm-hmm. in every scene. And then so he's embracing her, making out with her, and then it abruptly stops, and that is the denial of his salvation at the end for taking his own life. I have the same kind of interpretation when I saw it. I'm just wondering what can we really consider bedrock, considering we're watching a man emotionally, spiritually, and physically falling apart. Is it possible that he does go through with his plan, but he kind of, you know, phases out of that, I don't know, that plane and plays out this other choice he could have done? I mean, yeah, it's it's possible. That That's my only thought in talking about I don't know that anyone can be a hundred percent about the, you know, what we're seeing is a hundred percent gospel, no pun intended. Right. But I, I had that same reaction you did that he he did go through with drinking the poison and that's he was shown his his uh, salvation or his his version of paradise. It's like in South Park, bigger, longer, <laughs> uncut. When Kenny is floating to heaven and it's all the ladies, the angels with the big boobs, and they're like. Come on up, little boy. And then it says, denied. That's my interpretation of First Reformed. <laughs> <laughs> Spiritual successor to... That's interesting. So you thought that the cut to black was a, a significant part of that. Yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, it's very purposeful. Yeah. So you got to figure out what, what would it mean to you. Maybe Paul Schrader doesn't even know really what it means. He said as much that yeah. he, he doesn't really have a definitive answer for what the ending is. I think it all. T- so I actually kind of agree with y'all. So uh, I was kind of hoping we would all have different things, but I was like, yeah, he said mine. But uh, I think another interesting as uh, another interesting idea is that uh, the moment he picked up the Drano and decided to go that route, that he was possibly rewarded mm. with divine intervention of some sort, where. He got taken back to this where the moment when he decided to. There's a line earlier in the movie that any act of preservation is uh, an act of creation. You know, the moment you stop destroying is the moment you you start creating. And I could see I could see him being rewarded for his decision to not just like you know take out all his frustrations with on murdering all these people. That's a curious interpretation of free will. That you you would have to under you would have to agree with the idea 
within the theology of the movie that Reverend Toller's decision to detonate the suicide vest of the consecration was inevitable. That there was no choice involved in it. And maybe, certainly, Toller believes that. Because his decision to not kill people isn't a decision. It's a revocation of a willingness to sin. And I don't know if that necessarily fits within those bounds. It, yeah. it, it, pro- it definitely can within Toller's mind. It could possibly be his interpretation. Maybe it's not, <clears throat> you know, it, it's figuring out what structure you're coming at this from, but maybe he interprets it as divine intervention, but maybe he has a personal vision. He's obviously very frayed mentally at this point, mm, yeah. and his, his brain kind of plays out what happens, and the end snaps back to him at the table with the thing of Drano, and he doesn't decide to go through with it. The only thing I'm pretty, I feel like I'm pretty sure about is what we see in that room is not the real experience that Mary's character experiences on this day. I don't think Mary makes it into that room. Right. Whether it is a live hallucination or whether it is a vision from the afterlife or, you know, what it is, Mary... The Mary human, is still is, sitting in that she's, church. She's still in, in First Reformed. I think so. TJ, you've been silent. Because it didn't really fit with her character. That doesn't T- seem like... I'm feeling TJ disagrees with a lot of this. It's a weird, no. it's a weird thing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree with it at it's all. It's a weird thing for her to walk in and just, like, go for the, the kiss like that. I just got real weird with the ending of the movie when I was watching it. Um, so, do y'all remember the last word of the film? No. Always important. Lead? No, it's uh, Mary walks in and says... Uh, Ernst. Ernst. So, immediately I was like, that's weird. It sounded weird coming out of her mouth. Yeah. So, I, I you know, and I was Ernst thinking was. like... <clears throat> so, I, I looked up what Ernst was, and out of all the famous people with the Ernst name, there was... Uh, a doctor. It's gonna get real weird. That's fine. There's a doctor who uh, had a horrible car accident in the early '90s. Got addicted to painkillers. Proceeded to kill multiple patients by giving them bad advice, and uh, had multiple brain surgeries where people didn't need brain surgeries. Um, is in prison now for killing, you know, like tens and tens of people by being a horrible at his profession. And uh, he was Dutch as well. Mm. So I feel, I don't know. It was it was just one of those things where it was like, that sounded so weird coming out of her mouth. It didn't sound mm. like the word I thought it meant when I heard it. Isn't you know it, what I mean? Yeah. That Just the like super commitment. Isn't it Reverend Toller's first name? Yes. Yeah. But, but the, I didn't I, know that at not, the time. Yeah, no. I didn't know that at the time it's either. never said. Right. Well, because I heard it as like Ernest. Right. You know. Which makes sense, right? With that scene, I did. I watched it with the subtitles on, and even like having the thing Ernst there, it right. was also weird. Yeah, because no one has ever referred to him as Ernst unless I'm mistaken during the movie. No, it made me it made me go in a weird path myself. I was like, is that his code name or his like switch on name, like sleeper cell style? Right. But well, I was like, probably not. Yeah, and reading about this doctor who's got a super long Wikipedia page, it just fit in my head. Yeah, and it's probably a stretch, but. The fact that he was, you know, addicted to drugs, harming himself, has a job where you need to go trust these people, and he's bad at it. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't even care about the medicine side of it anymore. It just all fit with Toller. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
No, I think that's the right path to go down. He's uh, everything in the, this movie. I think is very purposeful. This guy's a film critic turned screenwriter turned filmmaker. So I don't think there's anything here that's just like he didn't care. It was also the only Dutch person on the Ernst Wikipedia page, <laughs> and it was a Dutch church, um, Dutch colonial church. And and talking about, I think it's Paul Schrader was a Calvinist, which is kind of. It is a not not extreme, but it is a. <clears throat> it was it was one of the first radical Protestant religions, and in one of the interviews I read early an early memory of his when discussing religion with his mother, he asked her, uh, like like you know I'm reading about pain and suffering in the Bible. What is it? And she said, "Let me show you." And then drove a needle through his thumb and thumbnail. Like Alley. That's that's Paul Schrader's <laughs> first like strong one of his strongest memories about religion and punishment and understanding. Fun. So <laughs> really? <laughs> Let's uh have some final thoughts on First Reform. Would you uh did you I know there's it's certainly a movie that gives you plenty to think about and plenty to discuss. Mm-hmm. Did you like the movie? Did you what was your takeaway? What was your feeling? Yeah, I on mean, the movie? I think it's uh, beautifully written. I would, love, I need to, I want to read the screenplay because there's not a ton of dialogue, um, but I was super impressed with that. I think there were camera work was really cool at times. Uh, y'all mentioned a little bit about the the still camera for the first ninety eight percent of the movie. Mm-hmm. It was really cool, and uh, I think Ethan Hawke was Oscar worthy. He's fantastic. Yeah. We've been delving into the theme, haven't really talked as much about the movie, movie parts of it, but yeah, Ethan Hawke, phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like to the point where if he got nominated, I wouldn't be surprised and I haven't really seen him. He's like a top 10 kind of guy right now. I think this is the kind of movie where I recognize how good it is more than I particularly like it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm not going to say I like. It's never going to be like one of my favorite movies, I don't think, but it's going to be a movie that, that. I would definitely recommend any, absolutely anyone. It's like no one's favorite book is the collected works of Shakespeare, right? But everyone has an understanding. For yeah, it. like I I respect and appreciate this movie without falling in love with it. Yeah, and the is it in the way that the content's just not something you can love? I'm not sure. I don't know. I I could see I could see why someone would kind of reject as like a. Not not that all films have to be enjoyable experiences, but like just how esoteric and plainly presented it all is. I think that's part of it. That's probably part of it. Like it, it is it is it, it intentionally depersonalizes you from the characters uh, with giving you this this kind of omniscient perspective of Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. So and he himself is isolated from everything. So I don't. There's no one in this movie who you like make like a, a real <clears throat> connection with, other than for study. Yeah, sort of like in the last podcast when I talked about Seven Samurai. Um, I had the same sort of reaction to uh, that movie, which is I just I recognize that... Like, I really just appreciate the movie, but sometimes there's there, there are two different reactions for me, which is just how good is this movie and how much do I love this movie. Right. And those are just two separate things for me. And so, I can love some bad movies. Well, just from the dialogue here, I'm excited about seeing it. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it does seem like a movie that is more, less focused on entertaining you and more to give you an inner dialogue with yourself. Yes, 100%. That's why we Very weren't worried about, about spoiling this for you, because the plot is really secondary to what <coughs> the 
motivations of the characters make you think. Also, why uh, the uh, if you go to find it on Amazon Prime, which by the way, most reviews on Amazon Prime are all glowing for every movie. This one has only three stars because the people on Amazon do not like uh, things that make them think. Bezos. It personally <laughs> challenges the viewer to yeah. keep watching because it is such a unnervingly uh, <clears throat> personal probing of like isolation, despair, hopelessness, um, the fact that you helplessness, and you know um, mental instability, faithlessness. But I also think it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it's a powerhouse movie that it doesn't move that much, but. Like, some of the scenes of dialogue, like the verbal sparring with Michael, like, it is thrilling. I, I love the back and forth they have and the, the give and take that, that they have together. And then you are kind of like an impending doom for this character you know pretty early on. Yeah. You, kind of, you know the course he's on and you know the event that's a big event that's coming up. And it is almost like it takes its time to slow its way there. Um, but I think it's I think it's great. I, and you say that I thought it was really well paced, which mm-hmm. is crazy for a movie like this. Brett and I were talking. The about editing it. was fantastic. Mm-hmm. We were talking about it before we started recording. We we're like we had heard this movie was slow, and I don't know if, if if thinking that or knowing that made it not feel slow. I thought I was thirty minutes in, and I had thirty minutes left. Yeah, but it really clipped along. Yeah. I said it took its time, but it takes its time right. to detour. To uncovering other facets of the discussion or his personality. Sure. Yeah, I thought it was. It, you know, it, it goes goes right. at a click. Even if, you know, in actual time, you know, there's this lead up to this event. You know, narrative wise, it's you know probably methodical. It's probably the best way I can, I can describe it. But during that thing, you're you're seeing all kinds of slices of his personality, of his emotional health, the interactions he's rejecting, <clears throat> all this, the internal fight he's having. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like kind of Florida Project-esque for me. It's definitely like a top ten movie for me right now at this point. But It's one of the best movies I've seen this year. I don't have any really interest in rewatching it. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of can't wait to rewatch it, but I'm not sure when that's going to be. <laughs> I would like to rewatch it five years from now if we're still doing this podcast and see if we want to put it in the talk of fame. The Earth's still here. <laughs> we got until 2030. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, sounds like we... we very easily recommend this movie to listeners. It's available on Amazon. Uh, we'll be talking about it more if, in the coming months. Yeah. If you just listen to us completely dissect every part of it <laughs> and still, you know, want to see it. So, but it sounds like listener number one, Chad, is uh, definitely on on yeah, that page. Um, all right, moving on to homework for next week. I believe it is David's turn. Oh, yeah. To choose some homework. <clears throat> what we got on in store for us? So I'm going to choose... Um, I'm going to choose a movie from this year. Just to force myself to watch something from this year. I think it was a festival movie last year. So, you know, we, we do Just Watch. It calls it 2017, but I'm going to count it 2018. Uh, Chloe Zhao's The Writer. Heard, heard good things about it. Nice. Got a bunch of uh, award nominations last year. Just because it had a kind of qualifying run last year. But it really came out this year. Um... Whatever, here doesn't matter. It's supposed to be really cool. So Sweet. It's about a rodeo rider, I believe. What's it on? It's on Stars right now. Okay. Cool. I think it's on Stars. Ah, oh, damn it. I thought I was going to make it through that seeing one of these fucking horse movies. Nope. 
Yeah, we saw a trailer for this when we watched Alf, Isle of Dogs. Yeah. I think. So, like, back in June of last year? July? Isle of Dogs was January this year. Oh. It's a 2018. So, the writer, yeah, I remember the writer hitting, like, Tara. Isle of Dogs will lose to The Incredibles 2. (laughs) But they'll both get up. I think it hit Tara at, like, uh, it was early on this year when I was hearing about the writer. Yeah. Like, February or so. Um Heard a lot of good things about it, so I'm looking forward to watching that. I was planning on watching that anyway, so it works, works out. Fit, fit with your Red Dead Redemption life. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that was Talkie Talk, podcast for the media by us. You can check out our website, mediabyus.com. You can join our Facebook groups, Movies by Us, TV by Us, Games by Us. Please send us an email at the media by us at gmail.com so that we know that works still. Uh, <laughs> you can tweet tweet with us at the media by us. Most important thing and helpful thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast and or leave us a rating. Preferably a nice rating, but any rating honestly helps. Uh, and uh, last but not least, we want to thank the Willow Walkers for the intro music. Thank you. And we want to thank Boo Reefa for the outro music. And that's it. Thank you all for joining us today. Bye. Bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know.